If you have your Bible, please take them and open them up to the gospel according to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Now, last Sunday, if you were here, we started a new series of messages to help us not just understand God's purpose for our life as well as for His church, but really to rediscover His purpose. You see, God is the Creator. And everything that God does, God does with a purpose in mind. In other words, God never does anything haphazardly. He never does anything randomly. Every single thing that God does, He does with a purpose in mind. You are here, and I'm, in here, I'm here because God has a purpose for our lives. We as a church, now when we talk about church, I know sometimes people associate church with a building or a geographical location, but that's not the church. The church is made up of a group of believers who share a uh, common faith in Jesus Christ, and so that is the church. The church is the believer. We make up the body of Christ. Now, there is a purpose as to why the church exists, why it's here on planet Earth in this time in history. And so we are kind of going through God's word and we are rediscovering his purpose, his plan for his church. And so last Sunday, uh, we talked about how God created us for his glory. The church is here, you're here, I'm here, not to declare how good we are, how great we are, but how good and how great and how awesome God is. That's, that's our declaration. That's, that's our boasting is not in what we did or what we can do or what we've done. Our boasting is what God has done for us. And so God created us for his glory. In fact, if we're ever going to understand God's purpose, if we're going to rediscover his purpose, it must start with God. He's the creator. We're not the creator. And so often we want to tell God what we're willing to do for him. We're willing to negotiate with God as to our purpose. And God says, no, 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 no. See, you're, you're, you're confused. He is the creator and we are the created. And thus, because God created us, he has a purpose for us. God is the creator of the church. It's God, it, was, it was in God's mind to, to found the church. We didn't, we didn't come up with this and say, hey, let's, let's band together and group together and have this thing called the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. Let this be our thing. No, God says, no, no this, this is my design, my plan, my purpose for you as my people who are called by my name. And so the church, there's a plan, there's a purpose. You see, God didn't need to make us. God wasn't obligated to make us. God chose to make us. God desired to make us. And so everything has to start with 
with God, who he is. If you were here last Sunday, we learned that we were made by God and we were made for God. And so we have no problems understanding God, God made us, God created us, God created everything, God made everything. Everything exists because God willed it into existence, God made it into existence, but we have to take it one step further that everything God made, God made it for himself, for his pleasure, for his purpose, for his plan. And so we are to reflect God's glory back to him. See, God made us out of his love, and God made us to be recipients for his love. God is a loving God. He made you because he loves you. You're here out of his love, out of his mercy. Now, see, one of the things that we need to understand, because you know, we talk about uh, church or we talk about Christianity, we tend to start to think that that's, that's a religion. Uh, you know, that's, that's just, the, you know, uh, uh, us, a, a group of people come together to, you know, to obey some rules and some regulations and do some rituals together as, as a group of, of believers. No, 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 no. See, every, that is such a misconception. Christianity is not a religion. It's not rituals. It's not rules. It's not regulations. In fact, Jesus came to free us from all of that. He came to set us free from the rules and from the regulations and from the ritualism because that's all the people were doing. They were just obeying these rituals and not knowing why. So Jesus set us free from all of that. You see, God is relational and he desires a personal relationship with us, with you, with me. Now, one of the truths that we must understand, and I don't think we'd argue with this, we would say God loves us, right? And sometimes we may question his love, or maybe there's times where we don't feel uh, that he loves us. Maybe there's times where we feel that like God's angry with us. We don't, we don't necessarily feel his love, but, but make no mistake about it, God loves us. But we need to take that one step further because not only does God want us to be recipients of his love, but he wants us to reciprocate his love back to him. He wants us to love him in return. That's why, you know, understand how God created us. God is sovereign. He's in control. You know, there's nothing that can operate outside of the sovereignty of God, right? There's nothing that God doesn't know. He, he knows everything there is to know. Uh, he is sovereign, he's fully and completely in control, and yet God did not create us to be robots. He could have. God could have easily have created us without the ability to choose. He could have pre-programmed us to automatically love him back. He could have, but he chose not to. He chose to create us with the ability to choose to love him back. To recognize and realize and receive his love and then out of gratitude for who he is because he's been merciful towards us. He's been gracious towards us. Out of, out of gratitude and thankfulness for his love, we in return love him back. That's why the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. 
Mark chapter 12, begin with verse 28. One of the scribes came to Jesus, having heard uh, them reasoning to, together, perceiving that uh, Jesus had answered them well, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? I love this question. In other words, what the scribe was asking is, 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 is Jesus, out of all the commandments of God, which is the greatest? Which is the number one commandment, the top priority out of, out of, out of all the commandments of God? Which is the one that we you know, should strive to keep? Which is the top, top commandment? It's a great question. Notice how Jesus responds, verse 29. He says, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. This is the top commandment. This is, out of all the commandments, this is the one with the highest priority. All right? This is the one, this is the one, that out of all of them, this is the one that we should strive to keep. Now, the word for loving God, I want to give you a key word, is worship. It's worship. When Jesus is talking about loving the Lord, he's talking about worship him and him alone, all right? Now, worship is, is knowing God and loving God. And when I say knowing God, it's not talking about having an intellectual knowledge of who God is or having some historical background. Okay, yeah, I know, you know who God is, and, but knowing him personally, knowing him intimately, knowing him, and out of knowing him, loving him. Now, when we talk about worship, for many, worship's a, a misunderstood word. We start to get this idea in our mind what worship is, and uh, you know, uh, I want to kind of just clear the confusion. All right? as, as, as we look at you know, what, what is worship, all right? how is this important to us as believers, as God's people, we need to have the right understanding. This is what worship isn't. All right? Worship is far more than music. Because many times when we think about worship, that's we, our minds automatically go to, to, to music, all right? And we say, well, you know, uh, I, I like to worship God uh, with traditional music, or I like to worship God with contemporary music, I like to worship God with blended music, I like to worship God with no music, I like to worship God with hymns, I like to worship God with, with lyrics. And we start, we tar start to take worship, and we, we make music and worship synonymous. But listen, worship is far more than music. Or we'll even say, you know what, we, we worship before uh, we listen to the message. We worship before we listen to the sermon. And it's a, it's, 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 it's a misconception. Worship is far more than music. In fact, every single act that we do from the time you pull in, the people out there in the parking lot waving to our ushers, to our greeters who are handing out hugs and bulletins, the time you come in, to our praise team, our welcome, our time of, of, of fellowship, to our, our, our singing time, our listening time, even our act of giving, all of that is worship. 
All of that is an expression of love. It's an expression of devotion. It's an expression of gratitude towards God. It's not just singing. We, 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 we boil it down. We, we, we kind of just um, reduce it down to oh, worship is singing. When it's so much more than singing. So much more than music. But see, we make it that. But it's, it's more than that. Sometimes the tools that we use to help us and aid us in worship sadly become the object of our worship. I've seen this in a lot of churches where the tools that that, that we use to exalt God, to glorify Him, to magnify Him, then become the object of our worship. In fact, in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings, it talks about King Hezekiah. He was a godly king. One of the first things that he did, one of his first operations, one of the first, uh, one of the first tasks that he did was that he removed, all right, he removed the pillars, he removed the, the temple that the people were, were worshiping at because they were worshiping false gods at the temple. But not only that, he took the, the brass snake that, if you remember in Exodus, where God called Moses to construct this brass snake because the people of God were being bitten by these venomous snakes and they were dying, and God provides the remedy. He tells Moses, I want you to take this this brass snake and I want you to put it dead center in the camp. And then I want you to tell every single person who was bitten by the venomous snake that if they looked, if they turned their eyes to this brass snake, they would be saved. They would be spared. They would be healed. Right. And so they did that. And God was healing the people. Well, you know what the people did years and years and years and years and years and years and years later? They began to worship the brass pole. They began to exalt that. They began to love that. They began to be devoted to that. They began to give all of their their attention and their allegiance and their affection to this object. 2019, same thing among God people. We use the tools not to help us and aid us in worship, but they become the object of our worship. And the sad part is, in a lot of churches, don't mess with the tools. Don't do that. That's, that's, that's a no-no. Well, that's unbiblical. So worship is far more than music. Not only that, this may shock some people. Did you know worship is not for your benefit? Worship is not for your benefit. Again, I talked about this last week, and I kind of just want to use last week kind of as a springboard today because, again, you have two, two, two mindsets uh, when it comes to a proper understanding of who God is. Either you think uh, God exists for you or you exist for God. All right? And that, that's true in our worship, too, because we think that either, A, worship exists for God or worship exists for us. And so we we make this grave mistake whenever we start to think that worship is about us. And we start to say, you know, I I really enjoyed worship today. That's the the wrong statement. The question we should be asking is, did God enjoy our worship? See, worship is for his benefit. 
It's not for us. What happens is, is we start to make it about us, and then we become the object of worship. And what happens is, instead of us being worshipers, we become consumers. And I think that is one of the great dangers in the American church today is consumerism. Where people think that it's about them, and they need to be for them, and the worship needs to be for them. And when the reality is, it's not for us. It's not for our benefit. Flip side of that coin is when people say, you know, uh, man, I really enjoyed the worship today. Uh, flip side of that is when people say, man, I didn't get anything out of the worship today. Normally when people say, I didn't get anything out of the worship today, or I was bored today, really that's God's response to your worship. I didn't get anything out of your worship today. I was bored today by your worship. And so worship is not for our benefit. Not only that, worship is not an activity, but a lifestyle. Again, we, we reduce worship to a time slot. We worship at 1030. That's our time slot. That's our time slot to, to come in and worship. And worship is not an activity. It's, it's a lifestyle. I believe one of the best verses that defines worship is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Look at this verse on the screen here. Paul says, therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, fellow believers, I urge you in the view of God's mercy, because God has been merciful towards you. I, I urge you, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, because of all that God has done for you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And here it is. This is your true and proper worship. That we offer to God our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so write, write this down. Worship is a response to God's love. That's what worship is. Worship is me responding to God's love. Out of his love, he has been merciful towards me. Out of his love, he has been gracious towards me. Out of his love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sin. Out of his love, God redeemed me. Out of his love, he set me free. Out of his love, out of, out of his love I respond to God through worship. I respond to his love. See, God always takes the initiative. God always makes the first move. Because he's taken that initiative, initiative, because he's made the first move, we respond to that in worship. Notice what we do. Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Write this down. Worship is giving back to God. Worship is giving back to God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to who? To the church? No. To God. So worship is a response to God's love, but worship is giving back to God. And so the great commandment is for us to love the Lord God. Now here's why this is so important. I believe here's why we need to here's here's why we need to start here. Because as a church if we do not understand this, if we do not understand what God is calling us to do as his people and as his church, we're, gonna, we're not going to understand. We're, we're going to be going in 20 different directions 
40 different directions. We're just going to be running all around if we don't understand why this is so, so important. Because everything we do, we should do out of our motivation for loving God. That's why God created us. That's why we're here. What God desires from you, what God desires from me, is that we love him supremely. See, as a church, we will never understand the importance of reaching others. We'll never understand why, why is it important for us to share our faith? Why is it important for us to tell others about Jesus? Why is it, why is it so important for us to grow as a church if, if we don't understand why, why it's supremely important for us to love God? It's our response to him. And so let me give you uh, three, uh, three things that we get from this passage of Scripture all right, that God doesn't have unless you give it to him. Now, God has everything, but there are three things that God doesn't have unless you choose to yield those over to him, to surrender these things to the Lord, to give back to God, okay? Number one, worship. I worship God when I express my affection to him. I worship God when I express my affection to him. Notice verse 30. Jesus says, and you shall love the Lord your God with what? With what? Is it not on the screen? You shall love the Lord your God with? And with all your? Now, when, when Jesus says you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, he's not talking about that muscle in your, in your chest cavity that's pumping blood. All right? He's not talking about that. He's not talking about that muscle there. What Jesus is talking about, when Jesus says we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, he's talking about the heart is the seat of our emotions. Right? It's the seat. It, it, it's it's our, our affection, what we're passionate about. Jesus says, listen, we're to love the Lord, our God, with all of our affection, all of our emotions. You see, God desires that. See, when we, when we worship, God looks past the external, and he looks to the internal. God looks past the how, and he goes to the why. Why are we worshiping? Why, why are you here this morning? Why did you choose to wake up this morning and take a shower and put on makeup, comb your hair, get dressed, get in the car, and come here this morning? Why, 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 why? God looks past the how, straight to the why. He looks past the external, and he looks to the internal, he looks at the heart. He examines our heart. Listen to what the Lord told the prophet Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Guess what? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at our heart. He, he knows why you're here this morning. He knows what motivated you to be here this morning. He, he, not only does he knows, knows why you're here this morning, uh, but he also knows why we miss church or why we don't worship. And he looks at the heart. He looks at our heart. He looks at 
the why. Jesus, interestingly enough, told the religious leaders who thought they had the market cornered when it came to worshiping God because they had a form of religion. They had their rituals. They had their rules. They had their regulations. They thought they were super spiritual. They thought they were super connected with God. They thought, they thought you know, all of this, that they and God were, were you know, two peas in a pod. They were that close, that tight. Well, Jesus looked beyond the external to the internal. He looked at their heart, and listen to what he says to them. Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, he says, You hypocrites. If you're unfamiliar with what the word hypocrite means, it means stage actor, performer. And basically, that's what they were doing. They were good at performing. They were good at pretending to be worshipers. They were good at pretending to be churchgoers. They were good at pretending to be uh, something they were not. He called them hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but guess what? Their hearts are far from me. So God looks past the external and he looks to the internal. He looks at our heart. And Jesus says, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul. You see, God doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. He wants every bit of our life. That's why Paul says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. The totality of all that we are, God desires. That's why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all. In fact, if, if you have your Bible or if you're able to highlight words uh, on, your, on your smartphone device, uh, underline all, highlight all, circle all, draw arrows to all. Because what Jesus is saying is, listen, God wants us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Not to hold back, not to keep something back from God, but to give it what? All. And so we exist to love God supremely. He wants all of us. God wants us to love him not out of duty, but out of gratefulness. I mean, think about that. I was, I was kind of thinking of an illustration. Um, husbands, how would your wife feel if you, uh, if you brought her home some flowers, right, and you handed it to her, and you said, listen, I, I only bought you these flowers for three reasons. One's because I, I'm your husband. Secondly, because I know I should. And, and thirdly, because you told me I should. Here's your flowers. I mean, wives, that, that would just make you feel so special, wouldn't it? Honored, right? But sometimes we do that with God. We say, well, God, God, I'm only loving you out of duty. I'm only loving you because I have to. I'm only loving you because you tell me I, I, I should love you. And God says, no, no, you're missing it. You're missing the point. God wants us to love him out of res respect and, and response to his love for us. 
not out of duty. Number two, I worship God when I focus my attention on him. Not just when I express my affection toward him, that God, I love you. God, I love you passionately. God, I love you supremely. God, there's no other God before you. God, I, you have all of me. Oh, man, I want to break out into a song now. Why not take all of me? Randy, you know that song? Probably not. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's, that should be our desire. God, God take all of us. Take, take our whole life, our whole being. But I worship God when I focus my attention on him. Look at this rest of what Jesus says here. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, he's not talking about your brain. He's not talking about this organ that's in your, in your skull here. Your mind is the seat of your, of your intelligence, of your decisions. With our mind, we decide. With our mind, we choose. Again, God created us this way. We, we have the ability to choose. God, God has given us a, a mind. He's given us the ability to choose right and wrong, he, truth or lie. He's given us the ability to, to choose him or not, all right? And so Jesus is saying, listen, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our attention, with all of our thoughts, with all of our, all of our mind. You see, our natural tendency is, is, is to drift in our thoughts, to be self-centered, self-consumed. Instead of thinking about God, we're thinking about other things. We're thinking about, you know, oh, let's see, this is Memorial Weekend, um, Am I going to grill this weekend? Am I going to go out to eat this weekend? What am I going to do this weekend? And, 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 and so quickly, our, our thoughts shift. When Jesus says, listen, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. All of our thoughts should be focused on him. Our attention should be focused on him. I believe that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind then you'll be able to test and approve what god's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will and so it's so important for us you know, to love god all of our all of our heart all of our soul but also all of our our mind lastly number three we worship god when we use our abilities for him we worship God. It's about giving back. Listen, God created you. He is the artist. You're his masterpiece. God created you to be you. You know, there are over 7 billion people on planet Earth right now. Over 7 billion people. And out of the 7 billion people... That, that's on planet earth right now, there is nobody exactly like you. No one. Now, there may be people that, that act like you or maybe uh, look like you, uh, but there is no one exactly like you. You are an original. God made you to be you. In other words, their personality, what you're passionate about, uh, your abilities, your giftedness, all of that 
your, your, if, you're here, if you were here when we talked about our shape, how God created us, all of that, God, God created you to be you. And he created you for a purpose that you would use your abilities to serve him, to worship him. That's why Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I'm not talking about, you know, physical muscles, all right? Because I know some people say, well, you know what, I, I'm not as strong as I used to be. I mean, I have a hard time picking up five pounds of sugar now, let alone, you know, something really strong. I can't, you know, I, I, or, 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 um, uh, I don't have the uh, limitations in my hands as I used to. Arthritis has set in. And we, we come up with so many excuses as to why God can't use us. But we understand that we are to worship the Lord with all of our abilities, all of our strength. As long as you have air in your lungs and a pulse and blood running through your vein, God can still use you. God has a purpose for you. God wants you to worship him with your abilities. I believe that's why Paul says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, God wants you to use that to glorify him, to worship him. Now, as a church, we need to understand this. We exist to love God supremely. That's why we're here. We're here to declare him. We're here to, to make him known. We're here to declare how awesome he is. And out of, out, of, out of response to his love for us, we are to love him supremely. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we exist as a church. Now you say, well, don't all churches do that? Don't all churches love God supremely? Don't all churches love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength? Don't all churches do that? No, no. No, in fact, I, want to give you, I just want to close with this. This is kind of a, a, a word of, of um, admonition, right? A word of caution. Revelations chapter 2. Jesus is talking to a church in Ephesus. At one time was a great church. At one time was a faithful church. At one time was a church, man, they were known for their love. They were known, that, and, and, and years and years and years and years and years and years later, something had happened in the church. They had changed. Not for the better, but for the worse. And I believe every single church it change is inevitable, either for the better or for the worse. There is no such thing as remaining the same. And this church right here, they, they had changed not for the better, but for the worse. And notice what Jesus says, Revelations chapter 2, verse 1, he says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your works. I'm fully aware of your service. I'm fully aware of your activities. I'm fully aware of, of the events that you do. Your labor, your patience. 
And you cannot bear those who are evil. Man, I understand. Man, I'm fully aware of your convictions. I'm fully aware that you are conservative. Man, I, I, I know all of this. These aren't bad things. These are good things. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are, are not. You found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and, and have not become weary. This is, this is all good stuff. Jesus is commending them and he's saying, listen, man, I'm, I'm fully aware of all of this. It's an encouragement. Keep on doing this. And the letter would have been great had Jesus stopped there. Had Jesus just said, keep up the good work. But he doesn't. No, in fact, he goes, verse 4, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. Out of all the good things they were doing, Jesus says, and I've got one, one thing right here. One thing that, that they needed to put their attention on because all of this right here meant nothing. Jesus says, nevertheless, I've got one thing against you that you have left your first love. In other words, this was a church, they were going through the motions, and, and they were meeting together as church, and they were coming together, and they were singing, kumbaya, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. They were getting together, they, they had a name, but they had forsaken their first love. They had forgot the reason why they existed. They forgot the purpose. They forgot God's plan for them. Jesus says, I've got this against you. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Here it is. Repent. It means change. Change direction. You're going the wrong way. You need to turn. You need to make an about face. You need to change and come back. Come back to that first love. Jesus says, remember. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. That's the last thing any church wants to hear. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I don't mind. You, know, you guys can gather, and you guys can call yourself a church, and you guys can worship, and you guys can fight over worship or music. You can fight over uh, pews or carpet. You can fight all that, all that stuff. I really don't care because guess what? I'm going to remove my lampstand from its place. You're going to have no light. You're going to have no glory. All you're going to do is just meeting together, and that's it. Until finally it dies. That's what he's saying to this church in Ephesus. Because they have forsaken their first love. They weren't loving the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and with all their strength. They had motions. They were doing the work. They were conservative. They tested. But they forgot. They forgot the purpose. And Jesus has turned. Come back. Remember. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As our praise team is making their way forward, I just want to ask you, just kind of... Um, Get still before the Lord. I just want you to just pause. 
Just stop for a minute. And I want you to just kind of think. Think, think about who or, or what do you think about most? What drives your life? What, what motivates you? What do, you, what do you think about when, when, you're, when your mind starts to drift? Where are your thoughts? Your abilities. What are you passionate about? Who or what has your attention? your affection, your abilities. See, I believe the biggest temptation that we face will always be to worship something other than God. We begin to give something other our attention, something other our affection, something other our abilities. And then that becomes God in our life. When God created us, and He desires for us to love Him supremely with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And let me encourage us. That should be our goal. That's what we should strive for. As a church, we should be unified without question, without doubt, without reservation that we exist to love God. Supremely. Selfish, selflessly, sacrificially, we're to love him.